Hey y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today, which means you might hear two hosts. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class. It's July 27th. An armistice was declared in the Korean War on this day in 1953, and really nothing about this was supposed to be permanent, yet that armistice is still in place today, decades later. It goes back to the 38th parallel, being established as the border between North and South Korea at the end of World War II. This was not intended to be a permanent borderline. It was supposed to be negotiated later with people figuring out a more concrete and specific plan for where that borderline should go. But the United States and the Soviet Union were key players in these negotiations for seeking a more permanent solution. And the Cold War got in the way of doing anything about what was supposed to be this temporary borderline. The Korean War followed on June 25th of 1950. North Korea invaded South Korea. North Korea really wanted to unite both Koreas into one nation, and it needed to be a united country under a communist government. Unsurprisingly, the United States got involved not long after and also called on the United Nations for support. Then in late 1951, China joined on the North Korean side, at which point this just became a war of attrition. The armistice in 1953 came after more than two years of peace talks. This was the longest armistice negotiation in history, and this war was ongoing the whole time that the peace talks were going on. These talks included hints that the United States might resort to using nuclear weapons to end this war. So typically at the end of a war like this, the peace talks would end in an actual treaty that was signed by all of the belligerents in question, setting clear terms for the war. But this armistice is more like a truce. It put a stop to the active fighting without either side being able to acknowledge the other as the victor. It suspended the open hostilities between North and South Korea. It established a demilitarized zone on either side of a borderline. And it prevented both sides from entering the other through the air, the ground, or the sea. And it set up a process for transferring prisoners of war and displaced persons from one place to the other. This armistice also required the establishment of a military armistice commission to make sure that the armistice itself was not broken. This seems pretty tenuous, and it was. Both sides were not even equally present in signing the armistice. On one side were delegates from China and North Korea, and on the other side was a delegate from the United Nations Command Delegation, and these three delegates signed 18 copies of the armistice in three different languages, but you will notice South Korea wasn't actually one of the signatories. This doesn't sound like the most stable ending to a war, and it really wasn't. The armistice wasn't intended to last for this long. It was just supposed to be a temporary measure that would stop the fighting until North Korea and South Korea could work out an actual peace agreement. And a conference was held in Geneva in 1954 that was supposed to work out the final terms. But the talks broke down. It ended without actually reaching that agreement. And one of the questions that prevented an agreement from being reached was how to hold fair elections if Korea was unified into one nation. So even though the United States has never signed a peace agreement actually ending the war, the U.S. isn't technically still at war with North Korea because the United States was never technically at war in the first place. 
The United States framed its involvement in this whole conflict as a police action, not a formal declaration of war. Although Korea, nuclear weapons, peace talks, and the idea of a unified Korea have all continued to make ongoing headlines even in the weeks leading up to this episode of this podcast. Thanks to Christopher Hasiotis for his research work on today's episode and to Tari Harrison for her audio skills on all of these episodes. You can subscribe to This Day in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Tune in tomorrow for an unusual road to a country's independence. Hi, I'm Eves. Welcome to This Day in History class, a show that reveals a little bit more about history day by day. The day was July 27, 1794. Members of the National Convention, which was the assembly that governed France, arrested Maximilien Robespierre and leaders of the Paris city government. This incident was called the Thermidorian Reaction because it happened in the month of Thermidor in the French Republican calendar, one that was used during the French Revolution. This day on the French Republican calendar was 9 Thermidor year two. The Reign of Terror was the nearly one-year period during the French Revolution when the revolutionary government took extreme measures against people who were suspected of being enemies of the revolution. On September 5, 1793, the National Convention declared that, quote, terror is the order of the day and proceeded to shut down opposition to the revolution by arresting and executing counter-revolutionaries, controlling prices, and confiscating land. The Committee of Public Safety was the body that was set up in April of 1793 to deal with France's foreign and domestic enemies and to oversee the government. Maximilien Robespierre was the most prominent member of the committee, which formed the de facto executive government in France during the Reign of Terror. On June 10, 1794, the committee passed a law that required the Revolutionary Tribunal to choose a verdict of either acquittal or death for a suspect. The period from the enactment of this law to the Thermidorian reaction became known as the Great Terror, as the number of executions increased a lot. The reign of terror had been validated by the argument that it was necessary due to immediate military threats. But even though the tyranny was getting worse, the Republic was not in immediate danger. Still, Robespierre continued to denounce people as traitors and proclaim his own integrity. But after the assassinations of Jean-Paul Marat and the executions of Jacques Hébert, Georges Danton, and Camille Desmoulins, Maximilien Robespierre did not have much real political power. His power was mainly in the Jacobin Club, a political group that was instrumental in the reign of terror. Robespierre became the target of many conspiracies, some formed for ideological reasons, others for practical and personal reasons. On July 27, 1794, these conspiracies converged when members of the National Convention denounced the tyranny of Robespierre and ordered the arrest of Robespierre and his followers. He, his brother Augustin, and his allies François-Henriot, Georges Couteau, and Louis-Antoine-Léon du Saint-Just were arrested. 
Robespierre and his supporters were declared outlaws, which meant they would be executed without judicial process. Paris Commune troops failed to free Robespierre and his followers, and the National Convention troops easily seized them. On July 28th, Robespierre and 21 of his allies were guillotined. More than 100 supporters of Robespierre were executed over the next few days. The reign of terror had ended, but the executions triggered more unrest and violence. Jacobins and people with connections to Robespierre were targeted, put on trial without due process, or massacred. The period characterized by these attacks became known as the White Terror. The attacks were largely carried out by the Muscada, or street fighters, as well as people who were close to victims of the Great Terror. The Thermidorian reaction also catalyzed an economic crisis, and working people were facing harsh conditions. Instead of implementing the Constitution of 1793, the Thermidorians drew up a new constitution called the Constitution of the Year Three. It established a liberal republic with a franchise based on the payment of taxes, a bicameral legislature, and a five-man executive directory. The new regime, the Directory, replaced the convention in November of 1795 and lasted four years. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And today is a very special day on this day in history class because it is our producer Chandler May's birthday. Everybody can send him all the birthday wishes and thanks for all the amazing work that he does on this show. If there are any upcoming days in history that you'd really like me to cover on the show, give us a shout on social media at T-D-I-H-C podcast. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.